Guys of a Certain Age is brought to you by no one. Absolutely no one. Except these dudes walking down memory lane. Now let's head to the studio to see what they misremember next. Hello and welcome to an episode of Guys of a Certain Age. I'm Art Shirley and I'm joined in the studio with Jay Reed. And we are here without Robbie Koblenz. I think this may be the first episode we've ever done that's been completely Robbie free. 100%. Of course, if he edits it, he may insert himself. Yeah, that's right. He may actually do some of that. Yeah. (laughs) And so he may have cut all this and say, I'm glad to present. (laughs) He may dub his own voice in the whole interview. We should listen to this episode. Maybe we'll see to see if he shows up. Yeah. I, I don't usually listen to him, but I'll have to listen to this one. We'll see how it goes. I would never, ever, ever do that. All right, but uh, we won't tell you where Robbie is. We're going to let him let uh, let you know what's going on with that or why he is where he is. We right. will tell you he's in Chicago, and uh, he's there for a very important reason and pretty exciting reason, and we'll be talking about that in a future podcast. Not sure when we'll get around to that, but uh, probably not in the too distant future. Yeah, but he pulled a fast one on us the other night. Yeah. He was up there for a few days, and of course, we talk a lot about you know, Chicago food. We've talked about it as a destination, I think, on one of our podcasts. Oh, yeah. One of our episodes. We still need to do that. Yeah. We keep talking about going go to Matheson, at least. But, right. Yeah. So I work, I work about 30 minutes away from town, and uh, Robbie sends us this picture. In that our town chat. being Starville. That's Starville, yeah. I, live, I work in Matheson about 30 minutes away, and so he sends this picture of just two slices of a thick yeah. Chicago style pizza. Yeah, it looked great. It was like and we. I mean, Art's been making pizza. We talk about pizza a lot. It was National Pizza Day. It too. was National Pizza Day. I didn't even realize it till then, but which is a shame on my part. But yeah, but so he says, I've got these two slices for you guys. If you can get here in time, and I'm looking at my watch at six oh five. We just closed the store. I'm thinking, and there's okay. a place here that makes some deep dish pizza that's very similar to, right. to what he was saying. And he makes it himself. I mean, yeah, he he's makes, makes it himself. It himself. Right. He's got a kitchen studio in his studio. He's got yeah. a, a rest. Well, he's got a, a gelato shop which doesn't have a pizza oven. But I thought. Where is he, and how can I get there in 20 minutes and get this pizza? Will he still be there? And I'm walking to my car and realize, he's in Chicago. Yeah. Okay, so you were, I thought you were joking when you responded, but you actually didn't realize. No, I, my, my yeah. initial response was, where are you? Because I and was calculating I the minutes. Yeah. How long are you going to be there yeah. with this pizza? Because I was hungry. You think he was going to bring us any? Unlikely. Unlikely. I think that pizza I probably any, didn't make it out of yeah, the shop. Yeah, the left over. But it looked really good. It looked really good. Anyway, uh, we'll be looking forward to hearing uh, Robbie's explanation of where he is right now uh, and uh, and sharing that with you. But first of all, let's go to Geeks of the Week. Uh, Joe, what you got for Geeks? I have another. I've been following a new Instagram account. I think it's called Animated Times or something. And there's there's something every day about a new rumor. And so I wasn't sure if this was true or not, but I think it is. Uh, again, uh, this is a Marvel character that I know nothing about, yeah. uh, but the character's name is Madam Web. Yeah, and I just know the name. I kind of have a vague it's in recollection the Spider of what Spider universe. Man universe. Um, yeah, uh-huh. and I don't know much about the character aside from what I've read. But the the news was that Dakota Johnson had signed yeah. to be Madam Web. It's okay, and so that was big news. I mean, she's a big star. Uh, yeah, you know, and uh, which is not that surprising. It seems to be the the current they pattern are met, right yeah. now. They are met, able to pull the big stars. Yeah, she can check this off her box. You know, check that yeah, box off that's of her right. resume. Now she's been a superhero will have been. Um, so Sony, I guess, is trying to expand what universe they have in yes. the Marvel world. Uh-huh. And which this is would be a Spider Sony production. Related. It would yeah. be a Sony, Sony yeah. movie. 
And I guess with the success of the Venom movies and Spider-Man, of course, that they're wanting right. to get what they can out of it. So she's she and apparently she confirmed with some sort of cryptic spider web emoji yeah. on her Instagram. And so I'm pretty sure it's a done deal. Been talking about it for a long time. Well, not not that I've heard, but apparently these talks have been in the works for a couple of years. But COVID and everything else has kind of slowed yeah. everything down. But now that things are picking back up, so. The interesting thing, though, that I – and again, I don't know much about the character, but there's a little bit of backlash because at least one iteration of the Madam Web character was an older woman. Yeah, that's um, the one I remember. With yeah. some disabilities, maybe yeah. blind and, uh-huh. and all this. And so there's a lot of people saying, hey, you know, Dakota Johnson is, right. is neither old nor disabled yeah. in, in, in the way that Madam Web was. But there's another character, and I want to say Julia Carpenter. I may, I may have that wrong. Uh-huh. But – Another iteration of Madam Web, who later becomes Spider Woman, or yes. there's some sort of tie in there yeah. that that is a younger character that Dakota would fit. Okay, so I don't. It's not out there yet to okay. for us to know which one is she's going to be. But in any case, another big Spider movie headed. Yeah, our way. and you know we we've talked before about what uh, Tom Holland is going to be doing, what his future is as Spider Man. Mm-hmm. Will he be back for another trilogy of movies? You know, after uh, Spider Man uh, No Way Home. And um, I know we, we've heard that he's signed on for three more movies, but I wonder if those might be, you know, appearances in other movies. So maybe he, one of his three yeah. is an appearance in uh, the Madam Web movie. And I can imagine at some point they're going to have to do a movie with Venom. You know, mm-hmm. I think that that's going to have to happen. So hopefully there's another trilogy of, of him as Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see those. But, um, and hopefully he'll also manage to find a way into these new ones too. Well, he's he's a, I think he's a lovable, you know, beloved for lack of a better word, character. Yeah, I mean, people like oh, yeah. him and yeah. people want to see him. People come in. love Spider Man and they really, I think, like Tom Holland yeah, playing Spider Man. Sure. I don't know anybody that you may have. He may not be your favorite Spider Man. You may have one, you know, depending on when you first saw. Like we've talked about Tobey Maguire, mm-hmm. you know, being a favorite because he was our first Spider Man to see, other than. Nicholas Hammond in the TV series <laughs> or the Gallon Electric Company. But um, but Tom Holland, I think people just like him, you mm-hmm. know, you know, so I think he's he's a he's a good guy for that. But anyway, so my geek of the week is is uh, I'm gonna have to kind of tone it down because it's not particularly family friendly, but um, I don't know if you've seen this. Steven Soderbergh has become the latest director to kind of speak out against problems he has with um, superhero movies in general. Oh, uh, he says he doesn't like those movies because nobody's having, and this is where I have to tone it down, relations with other folks. Uh, okay. Uh, and he said it very cryptic. I mean, uh, very non cryptically Yeah, yeah. Very matter of fact and in a way that we will not be using on our podcast. But he said nobody's doing that in these movies. And so <laughs> he couldn't relate to the movies because in his movies he thinks that's what people need to be doing. And James Gunn has since responded to him, and he goes, well, you know, Stephen, you maybe need to watch it, some other movies because there are movies where that is indeed going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see that in some of the suicide, in the suicide Squad that James Gunn made. Uh-huh. Uh, you certainly see it in some of Zack Snyder's movies. Uh, and, and there's other movies where that's the thing. My problem is, is that I just – I felt it was kind of an odd thing to make that the reason you don't like superhero movies. Yeah. 
I mean, uh, and are there not other things in the world other than that? Is that what your movie? I don't remember Ocean's Eleven being, you know, filled with uh, a lot of <laughs> right. Sex. And for two hours of your day, do you yeah. have to see it? Yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. Just because you're watching a screen, yeah, you know, and not to be prudish or whatever, but you know, I would think that that's. It seems like that's so prevalent in every other aspect of entertainment that we partake of, that the idea that there might be another story or another kind of story that could be told, you know, is, is not a bad thing. Uh, certainly, if if he wanted to make his own heroic movie, uh, he could do it however he sure. chose to do, because uh-huh. he's a big enough director and he's got enough clout, he could probably get it made. But um, anyway, I just thought that was a bizarre thing. It, it kind of struck me as, and I, I know he's listening, so I'll, I'll, <laughs> right. I'll be careful what I say, but it kind of struck me as one of those things where I need to get you know, some attention. So I'll, I'll mm-hmm. say something, uh, you know, a little controversial about this, you know, but maybe uh, he's got one in the works. He probably does. Yeah. For. So, yeah. So here's, <laughs> and I hate to know what the title that's going to be, but anyway, well, you have the boys. Well, I mean, see, I thought about the boys too. And I haven't seen that yet, but from what I understand, there's a lot of stuff going on. Yes. There. There's a lot of relations. Yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, plus the fact that, I mean, even, even a movie like, you know, Superman 2, mm-hmm. I mean, he gives up his power so that he and Lois can be together. Right. Now, they handle it in a very tasteful way. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, as crass as the way Soderbergh seemed uh-huh. to imply, but it's not like these people, you know, aren't having a, a true relationship mm-hmm. with other people. So, you know, it's a little bit – I think that's a little bit uh, – uh, a, a strange take on it. Is well, it almost seems like he's the poster child for what we've talked about before. When a, when a movie or a TV show moves from network TV to a streaming service, yeah. and all of a sudden you there's, got there's race, yeah. nudity and, uh-huh. and bigger words yeah. and all those kinds of things that yeah. all of a sudden – you know, the story was great before yeah. it, it went like you, to the streaming service. You feel like service. you have to add this, not right. to serve the story, but just because it is expected from that particular streaming service. Right, right. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not for it. I'm not for it either. The other thing I want is I want a movie that I can go to see with my wife, with my kids, that yeah. I don't have to worry about that stuff. I mean, my kids are 21 and 24, yeah. so I know that you know they. this is not new to them. Yeah. But at the same time, I don't want to sit there and watch it with them. Right. You know, I mean, I, my kids are 27, 28 years old, 30 years old, and same thing here. I didn't grow up in a family or a world where there was a lot of cussing. Yeah, right? me either. So, so when I hear it every other sentence in yeah. some of these TV shows and movies, then, you know, it, it just – it doesn't feel right to me. I, right. I mean, my kids say, well, you know, everybody talks like that these days, and that's See, fine. I, I just I still find that hard to believe. And, that, and, and that's fine. Um, it, they don't it, it where I work. Yeah, but. they don't where I work either. <laughs> and I've been places where it's been more prevalent than where it is now. Right. But, I mean, most of the places I've worked, that wasn't, you know, not to say something didn't slip out every once in a sure. while, but it certainly wasn't one part of the regular dialogue. It wasn't the vo- in, the, in the daily vocabulary. And, yeah. And, yeah. And I— but if it is, why not have a two-hour break from it? I mean, yeah. I don't need it yeah. all the time. If it fits the character of the movie. You right. Know, if you're watching The Sopranos or something, you expect that. If you're, you know, whatever. But if you're watching a superhero movie. And again, right. I'm not being approved. I mean, there's there's stuff I watch that, I, you know. Sure. It, well, it, it's fun. And, and it, it, it can, it's part of the dialogue, but it feels right. It feels mm-hmm. like it fits. Well, what was that movie that uh, Ben Affleck and Matt Damon did? The Last that, Duel? The, no, 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 that's that's the latest one I've seen. Yeah. But Goodwill Hunting, yeah, the early one where they were, um, I mean, there was just 
there was just the language was terrible. Yeah. But it was said, true to the situation. It was true to the yeah. story. It was true to yeah. the to It's the when you throw it in for what's obviously shock value. Right. And sometimes I think it's a crutch because it makes something more adult and more real. But mm-hmm. you really haven't made it real. You've just thrown something in without giving it much thought and thought, okay, this is going to make this a little bit more edgy. And it's not really. All you're doing yeah. is throwing language in there. You haven't thought about the story. Right. All right, thinking about the story, by the way, we've got a special guest coming in the second half. A writer, a co-worker of mine, Zach Ashmore, joins us to talk about a work he's got coming on, and Jay and I have both read um, early drafts of it, so we're pretty excited to, to talk about that. We'll see you on the other side of the break. And we're back. And on this half, we're going to be talking to a friend of mine, a co-worker, Zach Ashmore. And Zach is joining us today. A little bit about Zach, first of all, before I let him speak into the microphone. Zach does work for Agricultural Communications, part of Extension Service here at Mississippi State University. He's a video editor. He's a video graphics designer and also part of the Farm Week crew. That's kind of a recent thing for Zach, at least the past year or so, maybe the past couple of years, Zach. I think this is the beginning of my third year. Third, beginning of the third year. Also, Zach is a very talented drummer, a harmonica player, a blues harp guy, a singer-songwriter, a member of the band Stormy Monday, and I know you do some other musical things as well. Uh, got I've some heard albums them play. out. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So, in fact, I saw Zach uh, on a WCBI commercial just the other day. They're still running that promo where they've got you singing on a. Uh, it's a Stormy Monday set, and you're sing- they've got a tight of you singing uh, uh, on the microphone there. Uh, speaking of microphones, Zach just reminded us that he uh, also does a weekly radio show, right? We. Yeah, uh, well, here in uh, Starkville, Mississippi, we've got this, uh, uh, we have our local radio station here on campus called WMSV. Uh, You could find it online if you look for it, WMSV. And on Sunday evenings from 6 until I think midnight, they play nothing but blues music and they call that show The Juke. And I host the first two hours of it. And I'm playing more modern blues, modern, the kind of what I like to call a toe-tapping blues, which is veers into more rock influences or funk influences but it's still straight it's still blues still it's straight just, ahead blues yeah it's just contemporary blues so many different forms of blues so yeah that'd be great uh, we'll have to tune into that but with all that said uh that's not what you're here for nope <laughs> we want to talk about zach scott we were wondering is it a novel or a novella at this point it's a novella however uh-huh. uh y'all are in, uh, this is very interesting for me because and i'm sure it's interesting to y'all because you're catching me still in the process of writing this book yeah well that's what's kind of neat so this is kind of a a look ahead of what's coming out i guess yeah. y'all have read the third draft which is the complete story okay and right now i'm in the process of writing the fourth draft which will be novel length it'll be a short novel but okay it's, so it's not going to be you know a 500 page you know, doorstop, but yeah. it's going to be a novel, just a short one. Right. And it is a low fantasy novel called Wolf Slayer. Okay. Yeah, tell us a little bit about it. All right. So Wolf Slayer is about the, uh, well, what I'm hoping to do is make it a series of, of books because I've always been interested in, uh, I guess you could call it good old fashioned adventures, right? Yeah. And it's about the adventures of a young man named Rowan Drake. And so the book title, the book series, kind of similar to that, uh, what is it? It's a modern fantasy book, uh, Harry Dresden, The Dresden Files. Oh, yeah. You've probably right. heard of that, yeah. where it's a whole series of adventures that Harry uh-huh. Dresden goes on. It's a similar concept. It's a whole series of adventures that Rowan Drake goes on. And each of the novels is titled by a title that he gets during the book. So the oh, first okay. book is titled Wolf Slayer. Because that's, that's a title that he obtains okay. during the book. And since y'all have read the, the draft three, which uh-huh. 
since y'all have read the third draft, you you guys know how he got that title. Yes. We won't spoil anything. Oh, well, yeah. We won't go into too deep. We'll give you, we'll give you some good teaser information. Oh, yeah. yeah the Which, title is pretty indicative, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I like that. I like the fact that you it, uh-huh. the, the book isn't trying to pretend to be something it's not. It's not trying to be deeper than something it's not. Yeah. What I set out to do when I wrote the novel is just create a good old-fashioned adventure, some, mm-hmm. something in the vein of the old pulps, something in the vein of, say, Star Wars, yeah. something in the vein of old fantasy stories where, you know, there's things can be things can get complicated, but at the same time, it's just a fun ride. One thing that I like, though, and I'll just jump in real quick, is that as I was rereading it. Um, I was struck again by how the fact that you think you're going somewhere, you think there's a, a maybe a stereotypical kind of hero or villain or whatever in there, and you've twisted it. You've got turns in there. For example, Rowan is, and I don't think this is giving too much in the way. No, you're not. It's not afraid to be a, not afraid to be afraid. I mean, he expresses yeah. that he has fear, and it's not done in type in some type of comic relief type of way. It's a very real thing. So I think that you know, even though you're saying you're not getting deep, I think you you touch on some things. Your characters have have three dimensions as opposed to just two, which sometimes is the case with some of these things. Well, I found that uh, because this is the first book I've ever set out to write. Even though I've read many books in the past, uh, I've been an avid reader for many years, and I've been studying film and books and how the story process goes for a long time as well. And when you get into the writing process, unless you want to write a book that's really short, you have to flesh these things yeah. out. You know, you have to think these things through. Mm-hmm. And that that sort of makes it easy to make fleshed out three-dimensional characters because sometimes you just have to sit and think, well, why are they doing this or yeah. that? Or how would they truly feel in this or that situation? And one of the things about Rowan is he's 17 years old. Yeah, I still remember being a 17-year-old. Uh-huh. I remember the awkwardness of being a young adult still trying to find my way in the world. And I wanted to reflect that in the main character to make him realistic because that's one of the things I was trying to go for. I know I mentioned earlier that this book is low fantasy, yeah. and y'all wanted me to explain yeah. what low fantasy is. And, well, it's pretty simple. Low fantasy is it does take place in a fantasy world, but there is very little magic. There are no wizards roaming around casting spells. There's whatever magic there is or whatever fantastical creatures exist are either rare or hardly ever seen. For the most part, it tries to reflect what life was realistically like in the medieval era. Yeah. And basically the the time period I'm dealing with here is somewhere between the mid and high Middle Ages. Okay. Somewhere in that okay. time period. I'd say somewhere around the 14, maybe 1300s. Yeah. So Middle Age sort of things going on and dress and and yeah. the way, you know, obviously no technology, but 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 yet at the same time some of the the steel work and those kind of things that you talk about, I guess, would be technology at the time. Yeah. But you say it's in a different world, though. It's not supposed to be anywhere that we would recognize. That's correct. I mean, granted, the world— Seems wor- familiar, but not familiar. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. In fact, uh, like a lot of typical you know, fantasy, especially Western fantasy, it takes place in an amalgamation of, uh, that of medieval Europe. Okay. Where right. uh, the kingdom that uh, Rowan belongs to— uh, Argomer, 
Mm-hmm. The name keeps changing. I keep trying. <laughs> I keep changing the name. I think it's. Well, I think it's. I think it's Argomer now. Yeah, I, um, I know how that is. But your naming is very good too, and that's a tough thing to do sometimes. Is to come up with uh, with names that feel real but still have an element of, of fantasy about them. So that's a great. Yeah, and, <laughs> and is that from period research? Like the names that you came up with, are they completely from your head, or did you like see that in other similar things in other reading of similar time periods and? It's, it's a little bit of both. Um, a lot of these names I did come up with in Obviously my head. Obviously, Rowan. I mean, I know people named Rowan, but yeah. there's other names that I don't. <laughs> yeah, a, a lot of the names do come from the period, but that. But here's the thing. If I truly went period names, the names would actually be more similar to what you would hear in Lord of the Rings. Oh, okay, okay. gotcha. Because some of, those na- some of the names back during that time period, especially if you're incorporating, say, uh, Wales or, or or Welsh mm-hmm. Welsh legend and uh-huh. Welsh names, man. If you've seen what some of some of these Welsh words are, it, yeah. it'll it'll throw your head yeah. through a loop. So I decided I wanted to, and that's that's no that's I'm not picking on the Welsh there. They've got some. It's just a yeah tough. They've, they've yeah their their language tough is language. tough, man. Yeah. But but they've got some fantastic stories and mm-hmm. legends. It's just their language is tough to get through sometimes. I mean, I believe in Wales is the longest village name in the world. Yeah, and I don't well, I don't even know how to. We're big it. in Wales, so we want to make sure that we, don't, <laughs> we don't ostracize those three guys. Well, I mean, the, the, the truth is that the Welsh get a lot of grief from the uh, from the English, uh-huh. so I don't yeah. want to add on to that. Yeah, that's right. So the, I, I think the Welsh look at I think, think the English look at the Welsh like the North looks down on us here in the South. Yeah. So. That's right. You had some other questions about some of the names or some of the... Yeah, some of the, like the creatures, we won't get into all of them, but you mentioned, I mean, it's about a wolf. We know there's wolves involved and and dire wolves. And I've seen dire wolves before in other works, but is that something that, you know, is that a common sort of an animal that... uh, in fantasy, I'd say yeah, it's 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 common enough. Although direwolf really is the working t- the working name for those because, to be honest, it's kind of overused in uh-huh. fantasy literature. So, I'm trying to find a better name for okay. them. Okay. Okay. Um, like uh, case in point, I know you mentioned earlier uh, the gavir. Right. Yeah, that was going to be what I asked next. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the gavir is an interesting creature type that. Uh, is based off of the idea of a talking lion, which I'm sure if you've read Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, okay. you've probably uh-huh. seen that. But I wanted to give my own or little twist. Or watch Rudolph. Exactly. <laughs> I, I wanted to give my own little twist on yeah. it. So the mane is not that of a lion's mane. Mm-hmm. The mane is more like that of a horse. Yeah, I saw that last night when I was looking through it again. And, uh, so and that's a great twist. I mean, that's uh, because I do not, I did not picture uh, the Narnia uh, at, oh, I didn't Aslan. Either. Yeah, when Aslan. I, when, yeah. When, I, when I think about when I saw yours, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing a very different character. And like I said, I'm able to see, you know, mentally so much of what you do because your your stuff is descriptive. And I think that horse's mane was a great touch for that. Yeah, I, I like the look of that because uh, I, I could visualize it in my head. And something I intend to do when the book is finished, I do intend to do some illustrations that showcase. Oh, yeah. wow. you know, we got to mention uh, Zach's also an artist as well. Okay. Uh, uh, well, I got to make use of my fine art degree somehow, right? That's right. So, so the Gavir, though, he... I couldn't find anything. You can look up Direwolf, and there's other other mentions of it. But the Gavir, I'm a pharmacist on the side. You know, my my, my side hustle is a pharmacist. And uh, when I looked up Gavir, I found an antiviral drug. Yeah. So is that something completely your own? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gavir. Uh, well, it's based off of uh, fantasy creatures I've seen in video games when I was growing okay. up. Uh, but it's not entirely the same. 
Okay. Yeah. And so, cool. in, in the culture of the Gavir, I dive a little deeper into in, in the, uh, this fourth draft okay. here. But essentially, their culture is they're animals, but they're smart animals. They think like animals. So, they, they measure wealth in terms of territory and food. Yeah. They don't measure wealth in terms of money and power. Right. See what I'm saying? Right. And, they're bar- and they do actually have a barter system. And I think I, I may or may not yeah. have brought that up in draft the three. Boons. Yeah. Yeah. So their barter system is through boons, which are favors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's how they trade. They trade favors. They don't trade money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was fascinated by his character. I think maybe that was one of my favorite characters. In the yeah, book. I really like that character, Everybody too. tells me that. Because I, of the way he interacts and, and it – like you were saying earlier about Rowan having you know feelings of a sixteen year old and, and not being afraid of being afraid and yeah. that kind of thing, the Gavir, you you kind of want him to be this hero, but he's also kind of like being real. Like I'm I'm going to help you, but yeah. But here's Again, the, to me that speaks to a lot of the the three dimensionality of the characters because it's not just a all right this is a a bad thing this is a good thing or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's a little bit of a you know c- complexity to the to what's going on there. Yeah, also, yeah. speaks to your world building because the idea is the, what's the backstory of mm-hmm. the beer? You know, what what how did they you know evolve? What was their how, what was their relationship with uh, humans? You know, throughout time or whatever. Well, the, the answer is they they try to leave each other alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Essentially, that's what it is. The Kavir yeah. essentially live in the wilder live in the wilds, uh-huh. and. Going back into, uh, since this is something you're going to find out in the first chapter once you read it anyway, uh, Rowan's parents are, you know, soldiers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And his father is essentially this world's version of what, you know, you would consider a ranger from Lord of the Rings, right. except they actually do have a settlement, a permanent settlement they mm-hmm. lived in. Going back to what you were saying about where the names of things come mm-hmm. from, the uh, name of the settlement in Draft 3 is Highwood, right. which, is a, which is a very... That's a that's a pretty standard name. Mm-hmm. Well, I was visiting my uncle this past uh, fall of during uh, Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. and there was a road that I saw the name of it. And I was like, "That is a great name. I want to use yeah. it." And mm-hmm. the name of the road was Pinecroft. Oh, that was like, good. Yeah, that's a yeah. great that's name. What, yeah. I'm changing Highwood to Pinecroft, okay. just like that. <laughs> yeah. That, it, so in draft four, Highwood's called Pinecroft. So How long you have you been working on this? Oh, let's see. I started the world building back in high school. Okay. Okay. Um, but here's the thing. Going back into what inspired me to even get into doing this stuff in the first place, I was a very dorky young kid, mm-hmm. played lots of video games. Did, did a, I, I touched with Dungeons & Dragons a little bit, but I really couldn't find a consistent group or anything. Yeah. So I only barely touched that. Played a lot of EverQuest when I was in high okay. school. And uh, and generally really enjoyed high fantasy at that point. So when I first started working on this, it was a high fantasy with wizards and magic okay. and fantastical things happening all the time. But as I got older, I started getting into uh, stealth video games and okay. and other more realistic, grounded things. So I remember there was a fantasy simulator I played the heck out of a, out of called Mount and Blade. And I, and I, I'm play, I still play the uh, sequel, Mount and Blade Bannerlord. Wow. And it is no fantasy. It's just it is fantasy in a sense that you're in another world, but there's absolutely no magic whatsoever. Okay. And the lives of everyone and the way you go about things is very much similar to how it was back in that time period, approximating, you know. Yeah. So it's it, that is what you would call incredibly low fantasy. Yeah. And, See, and I appreciate that. And art will testify even when we talk about, you know, the MCU and what happens in Marvel movies, you know, there's some of them are just Full of magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Doctor Strange, obviously, that kind yeah. of thing. And that's okay. 
but I prefer the lower, the more grounded, the lower fantasy <laughs> MCU movies. Yeah. So I like the idea that there's a little bit because it kind of takes you somewhere different than than you are. I mean, that's what happens when you read. In a lot of times, you want to you want to get away. Yeah. And so it takes you just far enough away from reality to to be away, but not so far that you know every problem is solved by magic or every yeah, problem gotta is have created rules. by magic. You've got to have rules or whatever. Mm-hmm. So if, you've, you, if you're you know, sitting there and you know, well, somebody can just snap their fingers at some point mm-hmm. and everything's going to be okay, right. it, it takes away that, um, you know, that element of danger. Right. And that, to come full circle to the Gavir, I think that that's the impression I get with his character is that you know, it's not just all you know, honey and roses. It's gonna, he's not going to do everything that Rowan needs. But he'll make a deal. He'll change. He'll trade those boons with him, and and help him out. And you know, we'll see how it works out in the end. But yeah, I, I liked the idea of writing a story that made sense, where mm-hmm. everything ties together in a nice bow at the end. Because, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and bash uh, other writers because that's just I don't like the idea of doing that. But I have found that in a lot of movies, in TV shows, and even books these days, that a lot of the story is basically an and then story. So this happens and then that happens yeah. and then that happens and it's not really tied together as mm-hmm. well as it used to be or maybe I'm just looking at the past with rose tinted glasses. I'm not sure. Point yeah. being is that I see a lot of storytelling these days and I walk away going, you know, I could have I I think I might have been able to do a better job. Well, uh, you may not bash him. I've I've been on record before <laughs> as as not being a huge George R R Martin fan. Uh I've I've read um I think th- two or three books that he's written. I know I've written at least uh, read at least two of them. I think he does a great job with character development. I think he does a great job with world building. But his stories seem to be like, okay, I'm going to set you on this quest, and when I run out of things for you to do, I'll kill you. <laughs> yeah, I, I tried to read uh, those books, the uh, Song, of of Ice and, and, yeah. Song of Ice and Fire books. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you love those books – Great. Yeah, and people do, and mm-hmm. I yeah, Robbie clearly loves they do. It. Yeah, I I don't. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that I dislike George R. R. Martin. Yeah, and it doesn't mean I dislike the books. I will say, based on my history, I don't like stories that rely so much on negativity. Mm-hmm. And I and yeah. I, I hate to go so far as to say that his stories are nihilistic, but I'm not the first person to say that. Right. And like I said, I I certainly admire what he's done. Oh and yeah, same appreciate. Here. But uh, but I'm kind of the same way too. And especially I think as we get into more. The idea that uh, you know, reading, and seeing movies as well, or an escapist kind of thing. I think we've got enough negativity in the real world, so it's kind of nice to see something that's hopeful. And I felt like your your story certainly had that feeling to it, which I appreciate. Definitely. And you've just hit on one of the main reasons why I wrote the book the way yeah. I did. Because mm-hmm. originally when I set out writing this book, the very first draft of this was more of that dark fantasy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, be, because here's the thing, yeah. Like I said, uh, I'm not going to bash George R. R. Martin. He does a great job at writing dark fantasy. Mm-hmm. It's just dark fantasy is not my thing. Yeah. Uh, however, there is still a slightly dark edge to my book in a way. Yeah. And the, and it comes from this. Going back to inspirations, when I was in probably late high school, there was a video game series that you may or may not have heard of called Thief. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was Thief, then Thief the Dark Project, then Thief Deadly Shadows. I played the heck out of Thief Deadly Shadows and loved the main character of Garrett the Thief so much that a lot of that inspiration behind Garrett the Thief went into Rowan. Yeah. Whereas Rowan is, I guess you'd call a classic hero in that he tries to do the right thing. However, 
you'll notice in the book, he takes things from a different perspective. He's not the knight in shining armor who's going to ride in with a sword and right all wrongs. Right. He takes things from a more stealthy perspective. Okay. He operates on the more, you know, darker side of life in, in a way to get things done. Mm-hmm. In case you hadn't noticed, I yeah. mean, there's a scene where he has to rescue somebody and he goes about it in a very stealthy fashion. Yeah. He doesn't do it in a, I'm going to ride in with, with the troops right, and, and right. rescue yeah. you. Over from the darker version of this story, uh, I remember I started writing it, and it was it was it had gotten really dark. There was lots of nasty things happening, and it got to a point that I started getting. Uh, I'm trying to find the nice way to say this. I, I started getting the "I'm a bad person" chills. Yeah, if you know what I'm talking yeah, uh-huh. about. The I, I don't like this. I'm reading this, and it's making me cringe. Yeah, because I'm trying too hard to be dark. I'm uh-huh. trying too hard to make things edgy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, I gave up. Right. I initially gave up. I started writing this book like seven years ago, mm-hmm. and I got as f- I got really deep into the story and say, and said, you know, I don't like where this is going. Yeah. I'm just going to stop and give it a break. And I never came back to it until five years later. Yeah, that's interesting. And mm-hmm. uh, and then I remember I was reading a I was listening to an audio book. It was uh, oh what what is the name of that series? Uh, oh. Gosh, if I could just remember. uh, You fit fit right in with us, by the way. (laughs) It's called Expeditionary Force. Oh, yeah. Expeditionary Force. I listened to the audio book of that. Uh R.C. Bray narrated it. He did a great job on that, by Uh the way. R.C. Bray's a great great voice guy. Um, But I remember listening to it because a buddy buddy and I were on a long-form trip, and we were listening to the audio book. And I got hooked. And I said, you know, this is just a good old-fashioned fun adventure series. And I said, I want, I want more of this. Right. And I went back and went back to my book just on a lark just to read through it. It's like, well, I started writing something that was intended to be a fun adventure. Let's just – just on a lark, let's just see what I did. Yeah. Because I know I gave up on it and realized, eh, I'm just, not, I'm just not cut out to be a writer. And then I started reading it and I said, you know what? This, this writing's really not too bad. I mean the, the writing style isn't too bad. I'm, I'm finding myself getting engaged in this yeah. story. It's just the story itself that needs to be changed. Okay. So let's take another crack at this right. and make it nicer. Yeah. And that, that essentially is what came about I with the new I think that's such an story. important thing, too, in any kind of creative endeavor is not to have your stuff be too precious and be able to come back and look at it and go, okay, there's, there's some seeds of some good stuff in here, but I can throw away what doesn't work and start over. Exactly. You know? So it's, I think that's a, that's a, that's, that's a hard even as a nonfiction writer. I feel like yeah. sometimes every it's, word it's I write is do, precious. But I think that. it's one of those things where you got to come back and say, okay, I mean, sometimes it, you have the, the perspective of, of time past helps a lot too, but uh, it's a hard thing to do because you, you do kind of take ownership. I'm going, Oh, this is right. And then you go, well, maybe it's not right after all. Maybe this will be better. Cause like I said, I think that's one thing that appeals to me about your story so much is the hopefulness of it. And like I said, not that it's not set in some dark mm-hmm. things happening, but it's not overwhelmed by the dark things, and neither is Rowan. I was really happy about the fact that it is, as as a good old-fashioned adventure does, it has a little bit of everything. It's yeah. got action, adventure, horror, romance. Yeah. It's got a little bit of everything yeah. on it. Yeah. I mean, while, while not trying too hard to delve into those territories. Right. Now, I remember you were asking me earlier about my uh, inspirations. And yeah, what influences, I did. yeah. Influences. And, well, this book I'm I holding s- here is called Daily Life in the Middle Ages by Paul B. Newman. I did a lot of research uh-huh. uh, to try and make this world fleshed out and realistic. I've got like seven or eight books on what 
life was like in the okay, Middle Ages. Okay, okay. As well as, and you might appreciate this being a pharmacist, because uh, Rowan, I know in the book, I can't remember if I had already changed it to him wanting to be an alchemist or a apothecary. Apothecary is what you have now. Good, because that, yeah. that, that's where that's what it's going to stay, because alchemist just sounds too fantasy. Yeah, I can really relate to that. <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, yeah, he has the Jay skills. wants to play him in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the skills. He doesn't have the 17-year-old look, I know, but... Uh. <laughs> well, I could be the mentor. I could be yeah, the one that's doing the improvement. You could play his uncle, there you go. Uncle Cecil. There you go. Yeah, I could see you playing Uncle Cecil. I like Cecil. Uncle Cecil. That sounds good. That would be yeah, cantankerous old uh, apothecary. Yeah, <laughs> not not too old. He's probably in his forties. I, so. I noticed there were the the range of what is old, and because even the uh, was it the Lord or the Duke one was in his forties, an older man in his forties. I'm like, wait a second. A, but that's what that's <laughs> true to that time. But in the Middle Ages, yeah. that probably was. Yeah. And I interrupted you. I'm sorry. Um, No, that's fine. It's fine. Uh, So you'll get a kick out of this. I actually have – I also have bought and have read through books on apothecary. Okay. uh, On herbalism and uses of real-life herbs. So case in point, that medicine – that Rowan makes made from the mushrooms. Made the only thing that doesn't exist in that in in that are the mushrooms themselves. Okay, okay. so the mushrooms only exist in this world, but everything else is actually real apothecary uh-huh. techniques, like the healing salve uh-huh. that he uses to that he makes for himself. He uses a dried version of those mushrooms, which mm-hmm. when you dry something, it tends to enhance it. Right, enhance its uh, qualities, like home- so, home- homeopathy. Exactly. Okay. So he's using real apothecary type techniques to make these things. So mm-hmm. there's that touch of realism, mm-hmm. but just a touch of fantasy too. Right. Right. And I, that's what I like about that's that's something I like about this world is that there's a lot of realism and a touch of fantasy. And an example I like to give is that uh, in the chapter right before Rowan goes to hunt some wolves, and he and it's, it's kind of a throwaway line, but it does help build the world a bit. Before he walks into this forest, he mentions that, the, uh, that there really are very few sticks on the ground. The, far, the forest floor is pretty clean, mm. despite the forest being still overgrown and wild, because commoners are not allowed to cut down trees without permission, but they are allowed to collect whatever uh, fallen wood there mm-hmm. is. Yeah. That's true. Okay. That was like that was what it was like in the Middle Ages. You had to get permission to cut down a tree, but you could gather. You could gather as much fallen um, wood as your heart's content. Well, that's great. That's so. a great touch too. That's just a, a great detail to have in there. I think too. That's a, those are the kind of things that, as you were saying, Jay, kind of give it the grounded thing. So mm-hmm. there's there's enough real there's enough reality to it so that when you do venture off into what's not real, it gives it you know that much more credibility. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember people saying you've got to establish your ground rules. I can't remember where I read this. It might have been in On Writing by Stephen King or uh-huh. probably with somebody else. But uh, you have to establish the ground rules before you break them. Okay. And although I'm not a big fan of breaking ground rules too much yeah. because I'm a firm believer in art through adversity or art through limitation. Uh-huh. Mm. Or Yeah, so if you establish a realistic world – it forces you to keep your story within a realistic context. Right. And the truth is there are so many realistic scenarios and, and situations that occur you know, in everyday life that you can make something out of that even though you've limited yourself to low fantasy yeah. in this case. Magic is not going to save the day. A character's cleverness or ability to you know, endure through certain situations or find other ways to, to solve problems, that will win the day. Yeah. And I think that forces you to create more compelling characters and more clever characters. Not yeah. that I'm bashing people who don't do that. No, I'm but just that's saying. just where you're going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a, yeah. that seems like a real valid place to be. 
What are your plans for distribution or publishing? Well, once I finish the book, I intend to look for a publisher. Likely what I'll probably need to do first is look for an agent uh-huh. and then see if the agent can get it published. And since I intend to make it a series, series are popular these days. Yeah. And I'll go ahead and give you a hint. The, the name of the next book is Rowan Drake Apprentice. Okay. Okay. And we'll just go from there. I've actually written the first chapter, the first draft of the first chapter of the second book. Okay. And, uh, and, and do you have the ti- – you mentioned earlier the titles have to do with what he has become. Do you have a set – Beyond that, already in mind. Oh yeah, I have okay. title. I have titles, titles in mind beyond that. So, okay, okay. I, I can't remember the order right now, but I think the third title might be Troubadour. Okay, because okay. It, they'll, that's they'll, interesting. Yeah, yeah. well, we'll take uh, you take small elements of what makes the character who they are, and then because it's no secret that what I'm writing here is a series of the adventures of a medieval spy. Yeah, that's what Rowan is intended to be at uh-huh. some point, and it, 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 so that's the overarching story yeah. that will be going on. It's the yeah. overarching mm-hmm. story. He's going to be that guy that gets things done from behind the scenes using yeah. the stealthier ways of life. Okay. And so originally the book title was Agent of the King. Okay. So that just go from there. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll be interested. I, good luck getting it published. I look forward to seeing it published. I've enjoyed being able to read these drafts, and hopefully you'll share draft four with us as well. <laughs> of course, of course. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is a series I would want to read. Yeah, I mean, for I, sure. I, I, this yeah. is something I would, and, you know, have adaptations of it in TV, and uh, Jay's going to be playing Uncle Cecil, so we got that to look forward to. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, I'm really, I really want you to keep us up to date on what happens with that. Yeah, I, I did want to mention that, that uh, there are a lot of elements in this that I thought were were interesting twists on the uh, fantasy genre, yeah. such as the uh, such as the idea and of the shield maidens. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Something I've actually gone into a lot of depth thinking about, and I've changed them to being a religious martial order called the Order of the Aegis. And okay. Aegis means shield. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, uh, the idea being a martial order of uh, it's it's actually based on it's, a, it's actually a religious martial order similar to how the Knights Templar were technically a religious right. knightly order. Yeah. The Order of the Aegis is a religious knightly order of all women. That's very cool. So they're basically warrior nuns. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's very cool. Interesting. Yeah. So that's what the sword maids are gonna become. That, 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 that's essentially what they are now. I just don't do as good of a job of explaining it, but in draft okay. four I do. Okay. Okay. And it okay. also brings to the fact that Rowan's mother is a retired shield maiden. Mm-hmm. She used to be one, and uh, then she retired and mm-hmm. left the order to be with her to be with his dad. Yeah, like a nun would have to leave the order to, exactly. to marry right. as okay. well. So because as a shield maiden, she's not allowed to, you know, marry and have mm-hmm. kids. She, right. they, they are supposed to be chaste because they're nuns, okay. warrior nuns. Wow. So I, I, I like. I have a lot of books and with, with warrior nuns in them. There's really not enough. <laughs> well, the truth <laughs> is that shield maidens aren't all that common in this world, unless it's wartime. Yeah. Uh, the the and I and I keep trying to come up with she's the one that taught him how to fight so he fights like a shield maiden oh, and okay. shield maidens don't fight the same way men do they don't use brute strength because they can't mm-hmm. instead they use uh, their agility and speed and I remember you made a note of that at yeah. one point in the story yeah I remember that they use agility and speed and they use they tend to use weapons that require momentum to deliver powerful blows as a, like a like a uh, what is it like a, a sword staff you know so. Whereas you can hold the end, swing it around, and really hit something, or you know, spears and things like that. They're skirmisher type fighters. I feel like we could talk to Zach 
for a while. We'll need to wrap yeah. it up. Yeah. But one thing I do want to ask, though, is are you creating a Bible, as people do for these things in the world, or, you know, that so you'll have, so you can go back and look at, um, you know, references or whatever. Okay, this is, this is what this character does as you go forward. I, I've not done that, but I know people that do that for, or will the first book kind of serve as that, and then as you build, you'll just kind of develop it to that way? That's a really good question because it's a bit of a hybrid at this point because, yes, the first book serves as a bit of a Bible for it. I'm certainly not going to go so far as to write a Cimmerillion type thing. Yeah, right. Uh, But I do have notes that I, uh-huh. that I can refer to that's mostly just bullet points, like yeah. this means this, this means that, uh, this does this, this does that. Uh, you know, I've got bullet points on uh, the entire uh, structure of nobility. Okay. So what a title is and what you have to do to get that title, because it's not entirely anagal- uh, It's not entirely the same as it was in our uh, in the real world, yeah. but it's similar okay. enough that I have to make notes on, on how to... How to- how to, how to make that happen. Like, yeah. what's the difference between a duke and an earl? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or what's the difference between a lord and a duchess? I mean, yeah. And yeah. what point, is it? At what, what point it? do you become a commoner? Because yeah. that, yeah. that was a big sort of theme in the book is the, the difference between the commoners and the, the nobles. Yeah, what's your station in life? Mm, exactly. And how did you get that station and what do you have to do to have that station? So uh, I do have a bit of an explanation on that. Although I will point out something that's not similar to the real world is that the line between commoner and noble – is not as cantankerous in my in my world as it is in that one. And there's actually a story behind that, and that will be revealed in the second book as okay. to why okay. the nobles and the commoners tend to get along a lot better in this world than they did in the actual Middle Ages. It has to do with the, the history of the actual ruling royal family of Gladro. Okay. Something on that note, we're going to wrap it up. Oh, yeah. I can tell we could go down another <laughs> rabbit trail here. But, Zach, thanks for coming on. Uh, we want to have you back. I mean, you're you're not of a certain age. You're, you're much younger than we are. <laughs> but you certainly are a guy in every sense of the word that we define it, I think, in terms of what your interests are. And um, I want to hear more about this book. And, we, you know, keep us up to date on that, too. But there's a bunch of stuff that you do I think we could talk about. So maybe we'll have you back on again if you, if you join us. That'd be great. My mother I'll have always, your agent talk to my agent. <laughs> <laughs> my mother always told me I had an old soul anyway. So. Oh, yeah. There that's right. I know what you mean. Uh, all right. So on that, we'll wrap up this episode, this Robbie-less episode of Guys of a Certain Age. And next time we're together, we think we'll reveal where Robbie's been all this time. But thanks for joining us. And uh, be back with us next time for Guys of a Certain Age. You ran 45 minutes. Never let it be said I'm the reason we ever run late.